We are continuing our series in Joshua this morning uh, as we look at the marks of a leader. You know, in 2001, we had a leader, George W. Bush, who had just finished his first 100 days in office. And it wasn't that people were really critical of, of what he had done early in his presidency. It was really just that it was mostly irrelevant. There wasn't great things, good or bad. It was just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And then uh, something changed in September. The circumstances and the tragedy of September 11th changed everything about how we see President George W. Bush. Because what went from irrelevant was now every word that he spoke seemed to be incredibly important and very relevant. So why was that? Because as times get tougher and more uncertain, there's a greater need for a leader who is decisive, who can bring some sort of clarity or certainty. This morning, we're going to see a picture leading in from the midst of uncertainty as we look at Joshua chapters 2 through 4. And that doesn't mean this is going to be a four-hour message. We're going to just kind of do an overview of what happens here. Uh, but you can start making your way to Joshua 3 now. And as you find Joshua 3, I do just want to take one more chance and just say thank you so much to those of you who are tuning in online with us today. But also, if this is your first time with us, thanks for trusting us with just a little bit of your time. And as we begin, uh, I want to give a little bit of the vision behind our preaching that happens on Sunday mornings right here during this time and, and some of the teaching that happens in our community groups that meet on all different kinds of the weeks in people's homes around the Katy uh, area. So you may notice that especially today, we're going to be a little bit in Joshua 2, and you're going to hear about a woman named Rahab. Rahab is an essential part of the history of Israel. She plays a crucial role in Joshua getting the needed military information in how they were going to ultimately take Jericho and take their first step into the promised land. Uh, she also happens to be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She is King David's great-great-grandmother. Uh, and while chapter two, it focuses primarily on two spies and what Rahab does, we're going to be zooming in on Joshua's leadership today. And the reason that we do that is because if you're involved in a community group, you know that two weeks ago, we spent significant time talking about who Rahab was, her faith, the way that she led, that she gave hope, uh, that, that she contributed to the, words, to the word of the Lord and to the mission that God has put his church on. You see, it's vital that you are connected with a community group if you want to get a holistic picture of what God is doing. Because our community groups and what we do on Sunday mornings, they dovetail together. So a community group is a great place to get teaching, to get discussion. It's a great place to find friends and, and, and a greater family and fellowship. Community groups are a great place to find people who are real and available to walk through life with you. I cannot overstate the importance of the body of Christ coming together in a community, and we call those community groups here at Kingsland. 
So if you're not involved in a community group, I want to invite you. Brett Laxton uh, is going to be in the lobby after this service, and he would love the chance to connect with you, to hear a little bit about your family, and to point you at some great groups that meet probably within a five-minute drive of your house. And so I hope that you will take that opportunity uh, to connect uh, and get plugged in. But let's dive in as we look at Joshua's leadership this morning. Joshua 3, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Joshua started early the next morning. He left the Asia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan, and they stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you have not traveled this way before. We're going to see this morning that every leader can navigate uncertainty by embracing the, the three secrets we see in Joshua as he leads Israel into the promised land. And the first secret that we see from Joshua is that in uncertain times, it calls for recollection. Uncertain times call for recollection. Joshua has seen God do extraordinary things in his life in the past. When you're in a difficult situation, it's good that you go back and you remember the ways that you've seen God moving, the way that you've seen him moving in other people's lives, the lessons that you have learned from those times that God has shown up, encouraged you, led you, and pushed you forward. Last week, we looked at what it was like to be a great follower, and Joshua exemplified this as he followed Moses. But for all the great things that he probably learned from Moses as he followed him, there were also some things that he saw, some wisdom that he got that he said, you know what, I'm just not going to do it quite that way. And as he thought back, I think this is what he probably saw. Moses sent out 12 spies into the land of Canaan to see what the land was like. And we touched on this a little bit last week. When those spies came back, there wasn't unity in their message. There was confusion that spread among the people. And they decided that they were afraid to take any steps of action. So Joshua, now needing to get some intel on Jericho, he takes a different route. Because he thinks back and he he remembers, okay, I saw this. I learned from this. We're going to do it a little bit different. And so in Joshua 2, verse 1, Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent out two men as spies from the Asia Grove, saying, go and scout out the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I don't think it's a coincidence that Joshua only sent out two men. He saw the confusion and the disunity that happened when the 12 came back, and the information that he needed was essential to his decision-making and his leadership ability within the Israelite nation. It wasn't a matter of how or when. It was, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It It was a matter of how and when, not if, Israel was going to go into the land. He didn't need to understand the whole land. He needed to understand the specific land. 
And knowing what happened before helped him make a great decision as he faced a circumstance he had never led through before. So knowing the history and knowing the promise of the Lord, it gave Joshua the confidence that he needed to walk in obedience as he fulfilled the job that the Lord had called him specifically into. Recollecting the history that he had walked through and experienced absolutely impacted how he led through this uncertain time. You know, right here at Kingsland, we have an incredible history of faith. You can go back to when our church was founded by Tallawood Baptist, first pastor Holly Atkinson, all the way through uh, Pastor Alex Kennedy. And you can see time after time that great men and women in this church led well. And we as a staff and, and as a church, as a congregation, we have many things that we can look back and we can learn from, both the good and the bad, the, the mountaintop experiences and the valley experiences. We have those in our lives. We have those as a church. I think about leadership a lot like driving a car. In a car, you have uh, this huge windshield, especially when it's compared to the rearview mirror. You see, we should always have a big vision of where we're going as a church, where we've been called into, what we want to see, and we feel like the Lord is saying that he's going to do in and through us. But at the same time, we must keep an eye on where we've been, on what's happened in the past. In times of uncertainty, it's very good for us to take a moment and recollect what has happened. But there's also a need, especially in times of uncertainty, for preparation. Look at Joshua 3.1. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Asia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and they stayed there before crossing. Why did they stop and stay for a few days instead of just charging forward? They were getting ready. Many scholars estimate that there were close to a million Israelites that were needing to cross the River Jordan. That takes an incredible amount of planning and preparation. There were real steps that must be taken to make that happen, and they couldn't have possibly by themselves made the waters part. At this point, they didn't know exactly how they were going to get over, and so the leaders of Israel, Joshua specifically, prepared the people as well as he could. I love that Matthew Henry, he explains it this way. He says, faith in God's promise ought not supersede, but encourage our diligence in the use of proper means. I had to read that like six times to understand what he meant. But here's what he's saying, is that just because we have faith that God is going to provide, that we have the faith that God is gonna fulfill what he has promised, it doesn't excuse us from putting in the effort it takes to be ready. Could God accomplish his will without any one of us ever lifting a finger? Yes, Absolutely, he could. But the evidence of that kind of movement from God is few and far between in the pages of Scripture. You see, more often than not, God gives us direction 
He empowers us through his Holy Spirit. And then it's our job as people to get to work. And along the way, God moves as he promises to do. I've heard this uh, phrase several times, and, and I believe it to be absolutely true, that God often blesses in the midst of obedience. In the, in the midst, once you start down the path that God has called you on, he says, all right, let's go. Making preparations isn't just about preparing for these perfect scenarios of having a vision and saying, okay, here's how this is gonna lay out. We're gonna go step one, step two, step three. It's not a lack of faith to prepare for the challenges, those difficult moments that are ahead. In fact, I would say expecting challenges, difficulty is part of faith development. Because even when we know that a difficult time is coming, we know that we have a God who has promised to do something greater than we can ever imagine. In John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. We wanna skip over this next phrase a lot, but I'm gonna repeat it about 30 times. You will have suffering in this world. You will have suffering in this world. Jesus is telling his followers, in me, you can have peace, but you will, I assure you, have difficult days. You will have trouble ahead. This is not a call to follow me for an easy life. There will be challenges ahead of you. But then what does he say? Be courageous, for I have conquered the world. It might get really bad, but remember, I have conquered the world. Christy and I, we have a saying that we've owned since the beginning of our relationship. We often say there's nothing that we can't handle together. There's nothing that we can't handle together. And we don't mean that as arrogant as that probably sounds. What we mean is, that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the foundation that we have laid, there is no storm that this world can throw at us that we can't make it through. We know that it's not always gonna be easy, but as long as we're on the same team, it's going to be okay. Courageous leaders, they know that difficult times are coming and they don't avoid the difficulty. They prepare for the difficulty. Joshua had been given a big job to fulfill, to lead a nation into a land that had been promised, a promise that is generations old at this time. It ties back to Genesis 28 uh, and Jacob. But there's a key leadership move that Joshua makes when he, he sends the spies into Jericho. We can look back at, at chapter two, verse one. He says, uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from the Asia Grove saying, go and scout out the land, especially Jericho. Joshua wanted to be prepared for a very specific battle that was coming up. He says, take a close look at Jericho because the time has come for Israel to make their way into the land. The, the tension and the difficulty was about to move from theoretical, where, hey, this might happen, this is, this is down the road, to, to actual, to realized tension, to realized difficulty. And Joshua wanted for himself and his people to be ready. 
Jericho was going to be the first stop that the nation of Israel made as they took over the promised land. There are bigger things to come, but this is the first hurdle, the first difficulty, and Joshua wanted to be ready for the specific needs of this first possible conflict. And friends, that's not a lack of faith. God said, go, I'm going to give you this land. And Joshua said, as we go, we're going to be prepared. This is a biblical principle of faith development. Even in Proverbs 6, uh, the writer says, hey, you need to look at the ant who without any leadership, any oversight, he prepares for the winter by storing away food from the summer. God says, be prepared for what I've called you into. These spies, they helped Joshua be ready for the difficult battle that was to come. While they're hiding on Rahab's roof, they were able to gain valuable intel on the defense system of Jericho. Joshua 2, 7, the men pursued them along the roads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Do you think that would be helpful when you're going in to know how they're going to attack, how they're going to chase people away from their city? Not only did they see how they were going to be pursued, they, they saw how long the Jericho army was willing to pursue. In verse 16, uh, Rahab says, go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you, they won't find you. She said to them, you can hide there for three days until their return. And then afterward, you can go on your way. And finally, they gained a really good ally in Rahab while they were there. We see that in verses eight through 14. See, courageous leaders they know that there are difficult times coming. The difficult times aren't an if, but they're a when. So they do their best to prepare for them. Benjamin Franklin famously said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. I believe that it takes a courageous leader to lead well in any environment, but especially in the home. And if I could talk to the men here for just a moment, and ladies, this doesn't exonerate you from spiritual leadership within your home uh, as well, but men, your job is to love, to serve, and to lead in your home. To cherish your wife, to be the example for your children, that's your job. And if we're being honest, when things are going well, when, when things are, are pretty standard, it's, it's easy to be a good leader, isn't it? When the kids are doing what they're supposed to do, when things are really clicking with the wife, when the work world is, is calm, but when things get tough, when our kids get wayward, difficult, when there's tension in the marriage, all of a sudden, our spiritual leadership, men, it begins to tank. It begins to really drop off. And one of the reasons I believe that this happens for us is that we are not prepared for those times. We let our eyes and our mind and our hearts drift from the standard. And we didn't prepare our hearts for difficulty. I'm going to remind all of us this morning of the standard that we see in Scripture. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. 
Christ's love for the church, men, is our example of how we are to love our wives, how we are to lead our wives and lead in our home. And is that a realistic goal to reach? Absolutely not. But that's the goal nonetheless. So men, how do we lead in our home, especially in difficult seasons? We must begin in the good seasons, preparing for it to lay a foundation of love, of servant-heartedness, to lay a foundation of time in the word together. And then when difficulties come, we take steps of protection for ourselves and for our families. When I was first starting out in ministry, I transitioned from the corporate world to leading teams of teams, uh, from, from sitting and barking orders from my office into a ministry role as a full-time collegiate ministry temporary intern. That was my official title. If I think I got all those words right. But our family rhythm was that I would leave the house around 6.45. I'd get to work about 7.15. I would leave the office at about 6 p.m. I'd come home, we'd have dinner. Uh, that was our rhythm. I carried that in with me into ministry. And I thought things were going well, but what I failed to prepare for was the different schedule that ministry has. And a couple months in, I look up and I'm working 65 to 75 hour weeks because I have my normal day schedule. And then we have uh, meetings, we have missions opportunities, we have committees that have to meet on Tuesday nights and Friday mornings early and what, what I realized was that for the sake of the ministry, I had abandoned my wife and my brand new baby boy and I hadn't prepared for the change, the hurdle, the challenge that was time management in ministry. And that was a difficult season for our family, but it taught me a valuable lesson. And now I know that I have to guard against that. See, I looked at the past, I failed, and now I'm better prepared to handle challenges like that in the future. But especially in uncertain times, we not only have to recollect, we not only have to prepare, but finally, I think we have to have great expectation. You have to have great expectation, especially in uncertain times. You know, the spiritual giants that we see in the Bible, they show us what it looks like to stand on the certainty of God's promises. Our confidence should not be based on wishful thinking or, or what we hope is gonna happen, but it should be based on firm conviction uh, that God is going to move the way that he promises to move, whether things are easy in our life or whether things are challenging in our life. One of my favorite missionaries of all time is a man named William Carey. And in a challenge to his church and to the mission society that he was a part of, he said these words. He said, we need to expect great things from God and we need to attempt great things for God. We have to expect that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, the things that only God can do. And as our part, as far as it depends on us, that we will attempt great things for him. 
We look back at Joshua's leadership that brought Israel to their first conquest in Jericho. The first thing that Joshua does after he hears from the Lord in Joshua 1 verses 2 through about 9 is mobilize the people to action. He knew what God was about to do, but he didn't know the timeline. So in chapter one, verse 10, it says, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves for within three days, we have this window of time, uh, you will be crossing the Jordan and you're gonna go and take possession of the land that the Lord, your God is giving you to inherit. He was doing more than rallying the people in mobilizing the people He was doing more than calling them to action. He was calling them to inherit a promise. He says, God is about to show up in ways that our fathers, our grandfathers have not seen him show up. So let's get ready. In Joshua 2, when the spies return, they give an encouraging report, but they stand on a reflection of of expectant leadership. In what they come back and they tell Joshua. Joshua 2, verse 23, then the men returned. They came down from the hill country. They crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, the son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. And here's what they told Joshua. The Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Keep in mind, Israel has not taken one step into the land. They said, it's done. It's over. God has already given us the land and everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. They live in great expectation of what God is going to do. And Joshua doesn't waver on his expectation as he begins stepping into the promise and leading Israel in chapters three through five. Chapter three, verse five, it says this, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. And he said to the priests, carry the Ark of the Covenant and go ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark and they went ahead of them. God is about to show up and move the water. He's about to do a miracle that these people had never seen. And Joshua expected God to do something. He didn't know what to expect. He said, God is going to do something wondrous among you tomorrow. And as that ark goes in to the water, we see a beautiful picture of the gospel. Just a quick history lesson here. Did you know that this is the same spot that, Israel's, that Israel crossed the Jordan? It's the same spot where Jesus was baptized absolutely not a coincidence. We see in John 1 that John the Baptist, he was baptizing at Bethany across the Jordan. And that's clearly identifiable. It's part of, of the Jordan. It's east of the Judean wilderness. It's southeast of the city of Jericho. You can visit there today. There are churches there. There are ancient church ruins uh, that are there. Um, it is a clearly identifiable place where at least two of these major events in the Bible happen. You may remember the Ark of the Covenant as a beautiful container. It contained uh, the, the presence of God with Israel. 
That's where God's presence uh, was believed to have uh, rested as he led Israel. And we call that a type of Christ. It's a type of Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord gave pictures of what Jesus was going to be like. Not only so that people could recognize him as the Messiah, but also so that as he began uh, his ministry, as he completed his ministry, that people would look back and they would know, okay, we expected to see this coming because we have seen these pictures called types of Christ. The Ark of the Covenant was the manifestation of God's presence among his people. And the Ark of the Covenant led them into the Jordan River. Israel is stuck outside the promised land because the Jordan River is moving and it's at flood stage. And to take a step into the water would have meant certain death. But they expected great things of God. And so they prepared and they waited. And God made a way. Just as Joshua expected him. Joshua 3, 14. When the people broke camp across to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflows its bank throughout the harvest season, but as soon as the priests carrying the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, a city next to Zarethan. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of Araba, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off and the people crossed opposite Jericho. Did you catch that? The ark, the type of Christ, the manifestation of God among his people went first into an impassable chasm that separated God's people from God's promise. And God made a way. God himself passed through the waters so that God's people could pass through the waters. If we fast forward to Mark 1, when Jesus goes to the same location to be baptized, and he gives us a foreshadowing of the work that he would later finish at the cross, Jesus passed in the water so that you and I could pass through the water. Jesus did this symbolically as he began his earthly ministry, but he did it in actuality on the cross when he culminated his earthly ministry by dying in your place and in my place to make a way for us to have life when he died on that cross. You know, friends, I believe that our our graciously heavenly father has given each of us a purpose and a passion to engage and to lead those that are around us. He's given us a personal vision. I hope you have a vision for your family, but he's given us here at Kingsland a collective vision as a church. And that vision is to see a million plus seven homes transformed by the power of the gospel. And this vision is going to take all of us but we must learn from our past if we're gonna step into it. We must prepare for the challenges and the difficulties that lie ahead if we're gonna step into this. 
and maybe more so than anything else, we need to expect that the Lord is going to bring this vision to fruition as only he can. See, friends, our our lives and our world is full of uncertainty. In fact, none of us are guaranteed another breath, let alone another day. In a life of uncertainty, I want to tell you there is one thing that you can be absolutely 100% certain about, and that is that Jesus has sacrificed himself for you because he has an overwhelming love for you. That's the only certain thing that we can run to. And so I want to encourage you this morning that you would remember in your life what God has done. You would look back and you would say, God, I see your handprint right here. That you would remember what he's done in, in taking your sin, your guilt, your shame, your mess on himself when he died on that cross. Do you remember that he put your sin in the grave and that he victoriously rose, proving that he has the power over sin and power over death? Then I would ask that you would prepare yourself. Would you prepare yourself now for what God wants to do in you and in your family? For what God has called you into, would you prepare now, not just for what he has for you today, but for the difficulty that's coming around the corner so that you would be found faithful in a time of trial? Jesus promises that he is coming back to claim those who are his. Would you prepare for eternity with him? And finally, I would encourage you, expect great things from God. Expect God to show up, to protect, to counsel, to walk with you, regardless of the circumstances of life, because our God has not promised us an easy life, but he has promised us an abundant life. And friends, we get to walk in that hope today and for eternity. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if your life is uncertain, if your future is uncertain, I want you to know that the only certainty you can plan on, that you can count on, that you can give your life to is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And there is no better day to make that decision than today. So here in just a moment, as we uh, sing a song of response to what the Lord has said to us this morning, we're going to have some people available down front. It would be an honor and a privilege to pray with you, to talk with you, to answer questions about anything that you've heard today. But I would ask that you would move as the Lord leads you, whether that's for salvation, whether that's to just lay your burdens down, or maybe just ask for prayer. However the Lord is leading, would you move? Father God, we ask this morning that you would give us the confidence to run to you, the confidence to sit with you, the confidence to just be used by you in whatever you call us into. Father, I pray that today 
would be a day of salvation for some. I pray that today would be a day where uh, many of us, especially our men, would say, I am going to prepare for the difficulty ahead. I'm going to lead and love and serve my family well. And, And God, we do that because we're following you, not because we're good enough to do it on our own. So Lord, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the wisdom? And God, I pray for our families that we would uh, pull into our driveways here in just a little bit. We would look to our left and our right and we would see families who are hurting. They were in need of a savior, in need of a certainty in uncertain times. And God, we would see that you have placed us there for that purpose alone, to share the love of Jesus with those who don't yet know him. So God, would you use us? Would you pour your love out on us? Because God, we are confident that you can give us everything that we need. We ask that you'd have your way in us this morning. It's in the name of Jesus I pray.